Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our show presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. It is part of the 440 Sports Network. Our guest today will be Andrew Allegretta, one of the two play-by-play voices for Vanderbilt. Andrew appears on the guest line that is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you are in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call or text at number 615-830-9458. Our question and answer session is presented by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our interview with Andrew. Andrew Allegretta joins us now. Andrew had an exciting first half against Ole Miss to call, and then reality kind of set in in the second half. And now a third straight game against a top-10 opponent. Man, this is a brutal stretch uh, with the bye week coming for the Commodores. Yeah. (laughs) With the bye week to follow, just to clarify, which which (laughs) Vanderbilt might need after this coming weekend. Yeah, I got Missouri first. So it goes Georgia, Missouri, then by week, then South Carolina. Ah, uh, correct. So, yes. Well, I mean, yes. Not just brutal, but historically tough, right? First time in program history to go three consecutive games against top 10 opponents. Not to mention that two of them are either one or two. Uh, but, you know, these are, these are the cards as they're dealt to you. And I don't think... Uh, you know, Vanderbilt is in the process, and, and this is nothing new, right? Absolutely nothing new about splitting their ability to judge progress. They are measuring themselves against the best currently while also understanding uh, what it means to play the long game with program growth. Uh, and, and Clark talked about context during his weekly uh, press conference this week. Uh, they're three and three. Uh, they have everything in front of them, whether that means they go out and win three games and get to a bowl game or it wins one or two, whatever it is. Uh, and I don't think he wants this team to get bogged down in the, the fact that it's been three consecutive games against exceedingly difficult opponents. Uh, and to spin it another way for where Vanderbilt's program growth is at the moment, you can, you can choose to get, and I understand why, you can choose to get engrossed in the second half of the Old Miss game, or you can choose to focus on the first half of the Old Miss game, ultimately you're judged by wins and losses. So I'm not glossing over that. But again, in the arc of a program growth, there is a lot to be extracted from the first half. Well, I started thinking about this over the weekend, Andrew, and I wrote about it on Monday. Uh, And my dog is going crazy. Perhaps you can hear Oreo. But (laughs) (laughs) it never stops. If you look at it this way, okay, there's one way to look at it. Vanderbilt lost by 52 to Alabama and by, what was it, 24 whatever to Ole Miss. And from that standpoint, it doesn't look like progress. Yes, Vanderbilt got wins over Elon, Hawaii, 
Northern Illinois. Hawaii's probably a bottom five or ten team in the FBS. Uh, Northern Illinois probably bottom 30 somewhere, according to the computers right now. And Elon, of course, is an FCS team, albeit a pretty good FCS team from what it appears. And you know, and then so you got the wins are on one end of the spectrum. The losses are on the other end of the spectrum, the top 25 type teams and, and two in the top 10. And But when you balance it all out, uh, and you start looking at the numbers, Vandy around 90 in most of the computers that I'm seeing, which is an improvement over last year. But I, I look at it this way. If you look at the offense, it's been really good. It has scored, what, 25 points in every game except Alabama. Special teams, I was looking FEI special teams ratings. I don't think they've been updated for this week, but Vanderbilt was at 15 heading into the Ole Miss game. I doubt there's anything that, that costs Vanderbilt spots in the rankings there. Bulovis hit his his field goal and um, you know, has not missed a kick this year and that kind of thing. Um the, the punting's been really good. So they are they are really good right now on special teams, according to the computer that's probably best at evaluating that. They are very respectable on offense. Uh, AJ Swan has not thrown a pick yet, led them to a win, and, and has been pretty good. I, I thought was really good in the first half against Ole Miss. Not that he wasn't good in the second half, but game flow kind of took that one over and. Uh, took that game in a different direction. So right now, really, I think that the defense has just been so bad, it has obscured the others. But if you look at it in three phases of the game, they've made huge improvements in two of them. And and now the defense, which is the one that I think we figured Clark Lee would be the most adept at fixing. And in my opinion, it's mostly a talent issue right now. That now the one that, that when that gets respectable, that's when the program, I think, starts to take a leap. Okay, so here's my analogy, and I'll see if you bite on this one. It is the equivalent to any other sector making a product. So let's take coffee roasters, for example. The only thing the public cares about is the moment that they walk into your store, they say, I'll take a medium coffee with whatever, and they take a sip, and they like it, or they don't like it. That's the only thing that matters to the public. That's the equivalent of wins and losses. On the back end, there's the roasters, there's the baristas, there's the cooks in the kitchen that are tweaking their recipes saying, okay, we've got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's the progress and the growth that Vanderbilt is going through at the moment, right? So if they're mixing all of their ingredients, they're deciding on the heat that the bean should be roasted at, all of that sort of stuff. Right now, they've got a few things calibrated correctly, whether it's the freshman coming in, A.J. Swan, Jaden McGowan, the way they've played in the red zone, 21 for 21, the way they've been able to stand tall on fourth downs defensively. They've got a few things dialed in that are very clearly correct. And the coffee roasters know that because they take a sip of their coffee and they go, okay, it's almost there, but it's not all the way there. The things that we know are correct are X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, they know they need to go back and fix a couple of things in their, in their roasting process and their brewing process because, yeah, clearly there's issues on the back end. And they've given up far too many explosive plays. Jonathan Mingo has two 70-yard touchdown catches 
last week. Okay, so they've got to go back and then they've got to look in their coffee roasting process and their brewing process. And okay, we got these X, Y, and Z correct, but A, B, C are wrong. So we got to got to keep working on those. Ultimately, the public only cares about the moment that they grab the cup of coffee, take a sip, and decide whether or not they like it. But but the roasters themselves and the baristas themselves understand that that the product that they had was just it wasn't even close to be X, Y, and Z were wrong, and A, B, and C were wrong. Now that they've got X, Y, and Z correct, they can try to take a look at A, B, and C. And it may take time. And nobody in the public should really care too much about all of the mechanical stuff. But internally, they have to care about it. Because if you can't figure out those things, you don't get to the finish line. The same thing with coffee, with building a computer, with a football stadium, or whatever sort of stuff it is that you're working toward. You have to know your internal uh, mechanisms and logistics to fix it. But ultimately, you recognize that you're trying to fix it. So when it gets to the public, it's right. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Like they have adjusted their recipe for brewing coffee here and they've done a good job so far. It's just going to take more time to continue to adjust that recipe. No, I buy it. My only question is, did, can any of the baristas rush the passer right now? <laughs> well, but, 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 it, but if you've got a supply chain issue and all of your beans are coming from X place, you may not be able to rush the pastor right now until you fix the supply chain <laughs> and you can get the right beans in or you can get the right equipment in to change the way that you, you roast the beans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Yeah. So it, it, we might be working on a supply chain issue right now. We may not be working on just like a, can I draw up a different play on the, on the, on the whiteboard? <laughs> That's all. Yeah, I mean, so supply chain has always been an issue for them as, as long as I've been alive. <laughs> but uh, speaking speaking of coffee, how about the barista in the press box last week? Um, I, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I might have to become one after that. After that. Oh, uh, I I did not get a chance to indulge. Um, I was a bit uh, sporadic, but hey, look, I I love it, right? I mean, look. It, <laughs> Tale as old as time, organization curries favor with media members uh, through food and drink, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not necessarily new, but it was, it was a delightful addition. And I know um, the barbecue that was up there, I can't think of the, the company's name, and perhaps I should uh, you know, check a box that they're a sponsor before I say it. Whoever comes up and does the barbecue uh, was uh, a huge, a huge uh, favorite of Norm. And uh, as Norm as he walked back into our booth after getting a, uh, a heaping plate of barbecue goes, I always, I always stay in the good graces of the caterer. You're <laughs> like, a smart man. Here's smart man. He gets an extra spoonful of banana pudding. That's for sure. Yeah. No, Norm is smarter than he would like you to believe, but, um, he is, I, can we take a second and address and, and Norm would get so mad. I, I, and I say this with love and care. I know he doesn't listen, so it doesn't matter. Uh, because, because, on a side note, because like I know Norm is Norm works in the financial sector sector and he's worked with um, significant people, whatever. And I'm like, wow, that person was a client. He goes, I don't know who that is. So Norm is Norm is delightfully um, and probably for his own well-being removed from some of this stuff. But can we take a second and talk about how intelligent Norm Jordan is? He's one of the smartest people I've ever interacted with on a regular basis. I mean yeah. that sincerely. He's freakishly smart. And I, and I don't know if people recognize how intelligent he is, uh, but, and, and he would tell you that he's just a kid from Etowah, but 
that that dude embodies Vanderbilt education through and through. No doubt, and, and a good dude to boot. So, oh, first class. All right, let's see. I guess the big topic this week is the running back room, which has taken several interesting turns since fall camp. You have Maurice Edwards no longer with the team. You had Chase Gillespie in street clothes last week, whether he was wearing a jersey, uh, but not pads and, and, and not not playing, I guess is a better way to put it. So I don't know what that status is. He's not on the depth chart this week. You had the surprise of Rocco Griffin quitting. I can't say I saw that one coming. So right now, according to the depth chart, there's there's two backs on it. There's Ray Davis, who is getting a lot of work. And there's Patrick Smith, who frankly, to me, has not looked pat- like Patrick Smith quite yet in his two games back. What do they do there? I know Clark Lee mentioned... Lutz and some other guys like that that might be able to help them. But, um, boy, you're, you're starting to run out of options without getting very creative here. Uh, I think it's a three-man running back room between Ray Davis, uh, Patrick Smith, Cheeks, and Cooper Lutz. And then I think in your back pocket, uh, assuming things are physically okay, um, Chase Gillespie becomes a break glass in case of emergency, but one would also have to assume if at all possible, they'd like to save his red shirt season. Uh, and, and that's, and that's okay. Uh, Ray Davis had 27 carries against the old miss. I worry a little bit about the tread on his tires, uh, considering some of the injuries that he's gone through in his career. Uh, very cool to see today, by the way, as we record this, that he was put, he was put on the list for comeback player of the year after his season ending injuries last year. Uh, so 27 carries. I think he's gone over 20 carries at least two or three times so far this season. Uh, I mean, he's he's physically fit to handle that. Uh, but I would like to see a little bit more in that room uh, to help him out. Um, so the, the double by this season, it's probably a good thing. Like you alluded to after the Missouri game, that's helpful. Um, you know, I it's 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 a bummer to see Rocco. Like I recognize that he was. Um, you know, from a analytical standpoint, probably a really good puzzle piece versus, you know, the name up in lights running back. But I, I like how he added, uh, to me, he was the most North and South running back that, that Vanderbilt has. And, and I like that about him. Um, but you know, people are entitled to pursue what they desire to pursue. And, and Clark was very positive and complimentary about Rocco. I, I think you can start to see it when you kind of zoom back and you know, we know he's been dealing with a nagging injury and then he comes off the bye week and he still doesn't get a ton of reps, uh, against, against Old Miss. I think he got one carry. And I think at that point, at one point I was talking on the broadcast was saying, you know, we'll see if it's going to be, when's Rocco Griffin going to get his turn. He had 117 yards against Old Miss. Is it going to be Rocco? Is it going to be Ray? And then they trotted out Patrick Smith and, and Norman. I kind of chuckled like none of the above. Um, so I guess when you zoom back, you can kind of see it. It's, it's too bad, but you're, you're going to move forward with a three-man running back room with Ray, with Patrick, with Cooper. Um, and again, assuming health is fine, you could get to a break class in case of emergency situation with, with Chase. And I, I don't know if he's played in three games or four uh, at this point, but he was obviously forced in a little bit sooner than he would like with the situation with Patrick Smith and, and Rocco's injuries. 
Yeah, to Davis right now, he's got 108 rushes and what is it? How many catches? Another 17. So he's got, goodness, 125 touches. That puts him on pace for about 250. That's kind of a <laughs> hang on and hold your breath situation there with, with that kid just because of the injuries. Um I think he's done I, I a very admirable job yeah, so far. I think he's yeah. physically tough enough, Chris, to handle it. it it's just you, you're you mindful of his history, uh, and that's not to say that anything is going to happen. You're just mindful of it. But but he's he's physically fit and tough enough to handle that, and, and I think he wants to. I think he wants to be that sort of guy and have Patrick be a really good change of pace running back. I You mentioned the fact that Patrick hasn't looked himself. Obviously, the four games that he missed in the front end of the season – you can see it now. Every it's it, it's like the baseball player. It's like anybody that comes back to basket doesn't matter. Like if you come back uh, four games into a football season and you're playing in game five, you're playing in game one, and everybody else is playing in game five. Uh, so you look like you're playing game one, and everyone looks like they're playing game five. So uh, he he's just going to have to get his engines revved up a little bit faster, uh, which you know he's he's got the SEC speed, he's got toughness. I, I think he'll be okay. He's yeah, he's obviously still learning to run north and south uh, a little bit more, and you know, I'm I'm not a football coach. One would have to assume he's getting better at his pass blocking and ball catching out of the backfield and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but he's on game he's on game two, and everybody else is on game six. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Doctor Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Back to Davis for a minute. You mentioned the comeback player of the year watch list that he's on. I don't know how you can't root for Ray Davis. I don't know him personally. I have only been around him in a media setting where he comes across as very likable. You read his backstory where he was homeless, had everything against him. You know, here is a kid who was instead – uh, worked his tail off, was a freshman All-American at Temple, you know, got into Vanderbilt, has done well, has, has come off an injury. I mean, this kid's been off through enough adverse, adversity, you know, for, for 20 lifetimes, and he keeps answering the bell every week. Um, man, I, I hope he stays healthy because he, he is a kid in my mind who just is, is very much worth rooting for. A hundred percent. I mean, if Vanderbilt was six and zero at this point in time and ranked in the top twenty-five, uh, College Game Day would come do a story on him. Uh, it, it would be whoever is doing their Tom Rinaldi pieces these days. I don't know if that's Gene Mojahowski or whoever happens to be doing that version of the story. Uh, but but you're not one of those stories. That if 
that if, that if placed in the right situation <laughs> externally um, with the right hook, you know, here's this guy who is homeless that's playing for an upstart top 25 Vanderbilt team on his way to a bowl game or whatever, you'd have ESPN in here doing a, doing a feature segment on him for game day. I mean, it's, it's that sort of story, and he's that type of person. I remember um, one of the practices in Hawaii, he had, he had a ton of his you know extended family and friends that were out there at practice with him supporting him. It's been pretty remarkable with everything that he's gone through to see the support system that has also rallied around him. Like he's got the Vanderbilt support system. He's got the coach support system in the same way that they did that with Ricky Wright, but he's got his own support system of friends and family and adopted family members and all of this sort of stuff. He for sure, like with all of the collection of parents and families and friends that were out there watching practice, uh, you know, like Jeremy Lucian's family was out there, whatever. Uh, Ray, Ray certainly had the largest gathering of people. So it's also been nice to see with his story how many people he still has in his corner. Something just occurred to me. Uh-oh. We talk about the depth issues at yeah. No, this won't be bad, I promise. Okay. <laughs> we, we talk about the depth issues at running back, and then – sort of Mike Wright makes an appearance again out of the blue. And I, I don't know that I necessarily was crazy about the spot that they brought him in, given how A.J. Swan was moving the offense. It worked out just fine. They got a touchdown on the drive anyway. But maybe that is part of the answer that the coaching staff was anticipating. I'm not saying that it knew that Rocco Griffin was quitting, but it's not hard to look and say, hey, the the depth chart here is getting pretty thin already. There's always a chance we get somebody knocked out with something else. I'm wondering, obviously you're not going to line Mike Wright up as a tailback, but what you can do is use him the way you did last week. And I'm wondering if some of Mike's reemergence in the offense was a product of that. Certainly possible. I've not asked that question in that exact fashion Chris that would be a great one for you to ask um yeah it's good that I thought about it now a day after the press conference (laughs) uh I I I would say that it is a reasonable assertion that Mike they feel can assume some of the carries off of Ray Davis um how it gets happened how it's how it's lined up how it's organized and whether his reemergence was a direct result of Rocco Griffin, I don't know. In fact, in fact, I would probably hunch that it's not, right? I would, I, I would think it's more like Mike is a fast, talented athlete, and we still need as many fast, talented athletes on the field as possible. So it's not, a, it's not like, oh, we know something's happening with Rocco. Let's get Mike back involved. It's more like, I mean, he's got Mike. Like, try to figure out a, made, a way to make it work. It, it still feels to me that they're tinkering on that package and, and a way to do it where it's truly effective, but also not transparent. Uh, and Mike, by the way, like total side note, and far be it for me, Mike, Mike needs to run a little bit more in control. I, I thought Mike had, like at one point in time, he could have gotten a first down, but he, he ran too fast and fell. <laughs> um, again, far be it for me, someone who's 40 time probably clocks somewhere around eight to nine to 10 seconds. Um, but He's he's got to be a little bit more in control on those option plays, uh, read the pitch better, control his own speed a little bit better. You know, if he 
you know, if he really hones in on that, then it can be impactful. And, and I know something I've said on this, this show too, Chris, before is, as I still think he needs genuine reps as the back quarterback, as much as we talk about, um, you know, Ray Davis, 27 carries, 20 carries, whatever. And what happens like, again, knock on wood, fingers crossed, all that sort of stuff, but it's, it's still football, man. And, and something can happen to AJ as, as much as we kind of like grimace and hope that it doesn't, uh, uh, but it's still football. So Mike certainly still needs backup quarterback reps. You know, one other interesting dynamic of the offense last week was Gamarian Carter was third on the team in targets with six. Um, he's not been a factor yet really, but I thought that was pretty interesting you know, Skinner's listed as that third starter, but Carter seemed to be the third option in the offense last week. I don't know if that was just a one-off thing, but that was that was not something that I really expected coming into the game. Well, he's got good size, right? So 6'2", 230-ish, something like that. 6'2", uh, 220. Uh, you might have the roster in front of you. He's got good size. The point is he can get over the middle. He can be part of that quick slant game that Joey Lynch likes to go to in the right, in the right spot. He, he settled into the soft spot of the zone a couple of times. So uh, they just need people to take pressure off of Will, to take pressure off of Jaden. Uh, and he clearly has helped that. And what he probably, and again, this is just a hunch. This is an eyeball hunch. This is not talking to coaches. He probably fits that middle of the field role better than Quincy, whereas Quincy's uh, best skill set is his speed and the ability to get vertical. And if he's coming off a soft tissue injury, perhaps he's not coming to full speed at that point in time, right? Like if, if he can't maximize his vertical speed and his route running is still a work in progress, then perhaps Gamarian is your best option, uh, kind of using the middle of the field on a quick slant game. So I, good size, uh, clearly a, a good route runner, at least at this point in his progression. Um, so that's been good. Uh, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to stoke the flames here, but it's a little interesting, and I, I don't, I'm going to regret saying this. Uh, Kevin and I looked something up the other night, and, and it's, it's far too simplistic to just be like, throw to the tight end, throw to the tight end, throw to the tight end. Um, but Ben does not have a game with more than two catches since 2020 when he was throwing wow. Ken Seals. Um, I don't know what that means, right? And that's not a, that's not a huge negative. Um, I, it's, it's really not. Like, I, I don't... It, but it's, it jumps off the page at you, right? Uh, doesn't have a touchdown uh, past couple of years. You know, Gavin Schoenwald has a couple of touchdowns, and I know you count the snaps, and Ben and, ben and Gavin are both out there. I mean, Ben blocking, frankly, might be a byproduct of just what the offensive line needs right now with assistance off the edge and Ben's a good blocker and Gavin are good blockers and they, they need them in that role. They're still playing very, very valuable roles in the offense. So I don't mean to stoke the flames or kind of imply something overly simplistic, but that particular stat, um, I mean, go look at his game log. It's, it's tops two catches the past two seasons. And then he was, you know, three, four, five catches per game when, when Ken was the quarterback. Um, again, it doesn't mean anything necessarily, right? It might not be negative at all, but that that particular nugget um, was noticeable, if nothing else. 
Yeah, this is about three years in a row I went into the fall thinking he'd be a bigger part of their pass-catching game and just wasn't. Look, some of it's got to do – Will Shepard's been so good. He's starting to hog hog the targets. I mean, you only get – you don't get an unlimited amount of snaps and targets. I'm sure that's got something to do with it. And I think they need Ben to block. Right, I, I, he's he's big, he's strong, he understands the offense, he's good at that sort of stuff. Remember, this offensive line, and I say this, and it'll all go to you know whatever. The offensive line through six games has done a great job keeping whether it's Mike or AJ clean. It's what six sacks, which I think puts them top five fourth, in the conference, fourth, fourth yeah, in the league. Fourth? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not like oh, you've played four games against cupcakes and then you played you know the other bottom dwellers of the league. You've played Old Miss in Alabama. <laughs> and of the six sacks you gave up, five were against a team that has Will Anderson on its roster. Like, you know, the, the offensive line has done a really good job, and, and I, would, I would hunch that the way that they've decided to use Ben and Gavin is to help keep the quarterback upright so that he can actually find Will Shepard or McGowan or Carter or whatever. Yeah, I think, the job A.J. Blazek has done this year has been a terrific one. And here's, here's a question for you. You may have a better grasp on this because you're doing prep every game and, and starting lineups and stuff. And for me, after a while, it just becomes a blur. Have, have they had the same starting offensive line combination any two games all season? Maybe the, the fact that you're having to think about it tells me a lot. Well, I'm thinking about the injuries that they've dealt with. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Hernandez and Castillo have both spent time out of the lineup. We saw Gunnar Hansen miss this past week. Ben Cox has missed time. So you're talking about left tackle, left guard, center, and right guard. The only one that I haven't mentioned is Jacob Rammer on the right side at tackle. So... You know, I don't know if they've been able to duplicate the same starting five twice, but it's but it's certainly not three times. <laughs> uh, I I would say maybe one or two games they've been able to duplicate it, but it but as any good coach would tell you, like as much as people talk about roster turnover from year to year, it's the ability to manage your roster within the season. And I would say whatever they thought they had lined up left tackle to right tackle at the start of the season, that particular five has not had two starts where they were exactly the same. Now, maybe you've had back-to-back with, with like uh, Castillo at center, Ashmore at left gu- uh, right guard, excuse me, and Brammer at right guard, and then you still had Hanson and Ben Cox on the left side. Like You may have seen that particular unit twice, but that's not the one that they – necessarily thought they were going to get at the start of the season right so yeah Yeah. Blasek's done I mean he's a one he's great person wonderful coach uh I sat right behind him on every bus ride over to practice at at Hawaii um just a fun fun guy to be around well and I think it's helped that they have rotated you don't usually see that I don't recall that I've ever seen an offensive line coach at Vanderbilt I mean, it, when you, you might see a guy sub for a series if, if a guy's banged up. But, like, I'm, I'm looking, and you're having backups that are getting two and three dozen snaps some week. That's not the way that it's usually been done at Vanderbilt. And, and I'm guessing 
you tell me if I'm wrong. I, I don't think that's the way it's done most places either. I, I think that AJ Blazic seems to have found something here that's working for them. I'm just trying to point counterpoint uh, other offensive line coaches that I've known. Like I've, I've heard offensive line coaches talk about switchables, much like basketball coaches talk about switchables or coach Corbin talks about cross training. So it's not unusual to know that, you know, um, a right guard can slide to center or a right tackle can slide to right guard. That's certainly not unusual. I, I mean, I, I would, I would suspect some of your listeners would have context as football coaches about that too. Um, I, I don't know that it blows me away that there would be a rotation. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, if you could line up five guys and go like, great. Um, I, I, I think, um, it's that strikes me a little bit of a current roster construction sort of thing where as with any other position, like if you're trying to go with the same set of guys, uh, all 60 minutes, all 12 games, there's going to be burnout uh, and trying to get some load lightened a little bit periodically would be, a, would be a, would be a good thing, especially at such a physically taxing position like offensive line. And, and, but I, I, I defer to more intelligent football minds like coaches and stuff like that on that. Okay, now for the defense, and that's where they're struggling right now, and particularly in pass coverage. You were there at the press conference with me yesterday, and I'm looking at my notes from it. You know, one thing Clark Lee has said, and I think he said this Saturday and again on Tuesday, I think he feels like their corners are playing okay. Their breakdowns are just coming in coverage where somebody doesn't slide over or – you know, whatever the case may be, is that how you have taken what you've heard Clark Lee say? I mean, the thing that I hear him say all of the time is the design and execution. Uh, the design being the way to put your players in the best position possible from a coaching standpoint, and the execution is the players doing that. Uh, I, I get the sense that this defense has... I go back to my really stupid coffee roasters analogy where they've got, they've got most of the parts that they would want, but they're not trotting out some sort of fancy $1 million coaching, uh, coffee roasting machine, AKA a five-star. So the way that offenses put stress on you these days, it demands not just <laughs> wants, but it demands nearly flawless execution for the course of every play over 60 minutes. Uh, And if there's one slip up, someone doesn't do their 111th, you're going to get exposed for 70 yards. And what Vanderbilt doesn't have, as as good as Dericky Wright has been with his three interceptions, as as good as Kane Patterson has been to step in at this level, or Ethan Barr has made some plays, or Anthony Orgy continues to lead this conference, as good as those guys have been, there's there's no eraser. Uh, There's no... Uh, what was that guy's name uh, seen for Georgia last year who ran like a freakish, like a, yeah. whatever he was like Norm, Norm would always joke that the, the defensive linemen run like linebackers, the linebackers run like safeties and the safeties run like gazelles. Uh, and, and, and Vandy doesn't have any of those players at the moment that if someone doesn't do their one eleven, the safety races over and just erases the whole thing. Or a, a Jordan Davis in the middle that Georgia had last year 
that just blows up the whole play. Uh, and, and because you don't have those individualized efforts just yet through just pure freakish talent, um, like maybe Clark was used to at Notre Dame or other places, um, you, you can't, you can't have a letdown. Not, not only that, but like the, the other part of that too is like, this is coaching philosophy and philosophical stuff. But if you are that five-star freakish athlete, your mental motor can operate at a five, a six, or a seven sometimes and still make the play because your athleticism is, yeah. is that much better. Whereas the Vanderbilt players at the moment, I'm not saying they're bad football players. They could all tackle me into oblivion. But by comparison, their mental motor has to operate at a nine or a 10. And, and they've got to do it all game. And my point is, um, people don't, people don't, and this is not like sports psychology, wave the flag. What, this is just like a factual thing. Like your, your brain and your, your, your brain is a muscle, man. And that's why we're all like mentally fatigued by the end of the day, because it, you just worked your muscle for, for 12 hours and you're tired. So if you're Vanderbilt and you've got to execute at a nine or a 10 all game, your slip up, which is totally excusable because you're trying to execute at a 100% efficiency level all game, you, you operate down to a seven and you get smoked for 70 yards uh, just out of situational stuff. I, I mean, I'm not trying to make too much of an excuse, but that's, like, that's the reality. You need 11 guys operating at a 10 on the mental factor and trying to do that over the course of 60 minutes is not just physically fatiguing, but it's mentally fatiguing. So you take one wrong step and Jonathan Mingle is behind you for 70 yards. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good way to put it. I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, and not to mention that <laughs> the brain's getting plenty of, of, of exercise during the week with the class yeah, schedules. So well, your one wrong step isn't just a physical thing. It's like, it's a mental thing. And, and I think any, if we were all asked to operate, at a perfect efficiency within our jobs every single day from nine to five. How, how would that go? <laughs> well, I'm just, uh, Andrew, I'm, I'll, I'm I'll just give you an example from, <laughs> from writing. Okay. I, I know the difference between T H E I R and T H E R E. I have used the wrong one of those in stories before. Not that I didn't know a thousand times out of a thousand which goes where, but sometimes just in the heat of being in a hurry to do whatever, you know, you, you, you write the wrong one and you look back and you're like, I have no idea how I did that. That wouldn't even enter my mind to do it, but it, here it is on paper. Um, well, yeah. I would imagine you, you take that and you multiply it. Too, yes. right? I mean, right, right. You, you talk for, you talk for three hours, four hours, five hours consecutively. Like I, not that I am looking for a pity party. Like I love my job and I would do it a hundred times out of a hundred, but you, you get the end of a Saturday. Like my brain is smoked. Totally. Yes. Tired. My, mine is uh, too. And, yeah. A hundred percent. And, and it's, that's part of the reason why the broadcasters that like I deeply admire are the ones that are so mind bendingly smooth. Like I know people get cranky with Joe Buck, but I don't know that I've heard that dude make a verbal misstep in a while. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah. and that's the stuff that, that's the stuff that I'm like, I'm in awe of those announcers that can go a whole game and not make a mistake. I'm like, how, how I'm too tired. Like I'm, it, you, my, I just, I'm going to make a mistake out of just sheer, sheer mental fatigue. Anyway, 
Yeah. No, and and my point is the same thing. Like I'll go back and listen to podcasts and I'll think I said this and clearly I meant that and you hope people will right. figure it out. Sometimes you get the right. you know, the right. comments or the emails like you don't even know the difference between this and that. Well, no, I did. It just when you get in the heat <laughs> of a battle, yeah. sometimes yeah. it happens for reasons you can't explain. Multiply that on top of the physical fatigue of a football player. That's right. You know, and all the stuff that is going against you at Vanderbilt. Now, look, at some point they have to break through and get past that. But right. yes, when right. when you put it like that, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, and again, at some point in time, the customer has to grab the cup of coffee and go, "That's a really freaking good cup of coffee." Okay, uh, and this team at some point in time has to break through and just win ball games. Uh, but but when you get behind the curtain and you understand uh, how the gears are grinding you can see where the vulnerabilities are. And, and right now, one of them is just, yeah, if your talent level demands that you execute at a 10 out of 10 for 60 minutes every single play because of your opponent, your one wrong step may be um, physically induced. It could also be mentally induced from the team. Uh, so it, hey, it's just, it is what it is. I'm not trying to make too many excuses, but if you're trying to survey the landscape honestly, all right, last thing, and I'll let you go. Uh, what does Clark Lee have to slip into George's coffee to make this closer than people think? I don't know. Um, George is interesting, uh, just from like a pure research standpoint. You know, they haven't. I mean, I'm going to list off some random statistics, and they're all going to get busted on Saturday. Um, they have not thrown a touchdown pass to a wide receiver in four games. How bizarre is that, George? Wow has not thrown a touchdown pass to a wide receiver since Samford. Bizarre. And it's been three consecutive games, I think, without a touchdown pass. Again, the laws of football don't require that you throw for touchdowns. You can certainly run for touchdowns. Instead, Bennett has a handful of those, and the tight end Brock Bowers has run it three times and has three rushing touchdowns. Uh, so they got all the pieces in the world, but they don't, I'm I'm curious to see Georgia. Like I, I, they can win a national championship. Of course they can. Alabama can win a national championship with or without Bryce Young. Uh, but and, and perhaps we're gauging Georgia off of last season's like historic. I mean, just you you watch Georgia's defense in awe the same way that you watched LSU's offense in awe back in 2019. Uh, they they haven't completely recalibrated. Uh, whether it's the Kent State game, whether it's the Missouri game, whether it's, you know, they're, they're, what's interesting about Georgia's, and again, one of these guys would be starting for other teams, and I get that. But the horses that they are running with are a lot of guys that have been on the bench for the past couple of years and were good players, but not great players that they could overtake anybody else. Uh, you know, they were they were sophomores going up against other sophomores and couldn't break through. Uh, but now they're getting their chance. I, it's a lot of four-star recruits, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, it, yeah. I, they're still very good, right? And still could absolutely win a national championship. I didn't answer your question. I'm sure it would have to be something illicit and appropriate about what would have to go in the, the coffee. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, it's, not that the, we're the endorsing numbers, that. <laughs> no, goodness. No, no, uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, but it, they're, they're just really, they're really interesting on paper. Like I, 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 I know what the, the spread is. That's fine. That's, 
perfectly understandable. And those people in Las Vegas set those with very intelligent minds. Uh, I'm not saying that I think Vanderbilt's going to get out of there with a victory, nor do I think they're going to beat the spread or fall on the spread. Or I don't. I have no earthly idea. I don't know. It's just on paper, Georgia's they're they're intriguing. Like I, who's there? You watched last year. You saw all of these it dudes. Their um, their it dude is Brock Bowers, their tight end. I don't I don't know that they've got an it dude at running back. Like Macintosh is very very good. I don't. I mean, obviously we would love to have Macintosh running for us. That's, that's no disrespect to Ray or Patrick or anything. But so you know, in the same way that you look at Alabama's roster and go, okay, there's Will Anderson, there's Bryce Young, uh, there's you know, Gibbs is running like a freak right now. I, I, I don't know. I'll eat my words in seven days, but Brock Bowers is the most physically imposing and like ridiculous athlete on that field. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I, after that, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, they are really, really good players. And it's probably some of their defensive guys. Like they've got, um, uh, Oh goodness, Chris, uh, I'll come up with it when I, He's uh, Jalen Carter, the guy that. Well, well, Carter's been banged up. I don't know if he's going to play. Um, yeah, the guy that had the pick six to clinch the national championship last year is a Keeley. Is it Riggs? Uh, uh, Keeley Ringo. Ringo, excuse me. Um, so I mean, he, he's probably him, or they've got a freshman that's been off the charts in that secondary. It's probably you know one of those three or four guys. But it, George has been a little bit banged up too. I you know. They're the reading some of the Georgia stuff. There, you remember that AD? I think it's AD Mitchell, who's basically their burner at wide receiver, uh, has been been dealing with I think an ankle injury, uh, and he's been limited. He's not been 100. percent They don't know what his capability is for this week, and the, the Georgia sites would tell you that his inability to stretch the field has impacted Lad McConkey's ability to be a really really good wide receiver or limited how Brock Bowers has gotten the football and all that kind of stuff. Stetson is really, really good, but he plays with ridiculous confidence and he's elusive and he's a great, he's a national championship winning quarterback. Also not Bryce Young athletically. So I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Like I, George is great and I'm not trying to imply that Vanderbilt is going to pull the upset or cover the spread or anything. It's just, they're interesting on paper. They are number one team in the country and you're still looking at them on paper going, what exactly is your calling card? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. They're they're a confusing team to watch from a week to week basis. Andrew, uh, that's all I've got today. Tell folks about the broadcast this weekend, where they can find it, what's coming up, all those things that you guys would like to promote. The floor is yours to do that. As we end the show today, uh, what do what do I want to promote? Um, I'll, I'll give a quick nod because I know, and I may have mentioned this before. Uh, I know it matters to Norm, but a congratulations to Norm for being named an SEC legend. Uh, that's something that's personal to Norm, having played with Alamo back in that 82 season. Um, you know, on a, on a personal note, as we continue to build our bridges, um, I, I had a lot of fun welcoming Phil Moore to sing the national anthem. Um, so I'm wishing him as much continued success in his career in this town. Uh, and, and for folks that may be so inclined, not that, you know, we're here to cover Vanderbilt athletics, but we're trying to make the whole 
fan experience as engaging as possible. Uh, I will, I will just say we, we have a few other items cooking in the kitchen when it comes to that. So um, we're excited to continue to pursue that sort of stuff. Uh, broadcast time, uh, 1 p.m. across the Vanderbilt Sports Network on Saturday. Make sure you download the Vanderbilt Athletics app. That tends to be the easiest way to get it. But, of course, 93 Classic Hits here in Nashville. And for those that are outside of this region, we've got an affiliate in Memphis and Chattanooga and uh, a few other spots as well. So uh, two to ten. We have a good time. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Have a safe trip to Athens. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.